Get the little ones, sit back, relax, and listen to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. Chapter 5 The High Hat Gentlemen's Club might very well have been the most ironically named venue operating in the city limits. Once, more than three years ago now, it had operated under a fine old name and catered to the city's elite. But hard times were hard times, and when the club was beset by financial trouble after the stock market collapse, its members were too preoccupied with their own losses to ride to the rescue. The building had been briefly shuttered, then sold by the bankruptcy court to a company which was known throughout the city as a blind for Big Joe Tenuti. But knowing such a thing and proving it were two very different matters, and despite the howls of protest from the mayor's office and the Citizens Committee for Public Decency, the old standard was torn down, and the flickering neon top hat that now graced the building's edifice was erected. Officially, the high hat was a private club, with a membership every bit as exclusive as the Club Macaw. But to gain admission, one only needed to be a well-placed racketeer or gangster. Since the change of ownership, the high hat had been regarded as neutral ground, a place free from the life-and-death rivalries of gangland, Business might be discussed, but only in civil terms, which, for the criminal scum who frequented the hi-hat, had meant only that no weapons were allowed. Those days of mock civility were over now. Those who remained atop the food chain of Toronto's underworld knew that they could never let their guard down, and that they would never be truly safe. But as long as Big Joe held the hi-hat, there was still one place they could retreat to and plan their vile strategies, hunted though they may be. The nightclub was as wild as any could be, for the police had long known that it was death to set foot on the grounds. Tanuti's reputation held the hi-hat as an oasis of sorts for the moment. An island against the rising tide of justice that threatened to sweep away all that a generation of criminals had built. Tanuti had watched as the new self-proclaimed protectors of the city had eliminated his competition one by one. Indeed, in the early going, he had profited greatly from the elimination of his rivals, and for his own part he was careful not to provoke the wrath of the masked marvels directly. Big Joe Tenuti was an old hand at this game, and the mere mention of his name carried with it such dread that few would dare to cross him. As a result, his operation was not as freshly steeped in blood as others which had only recently clawed their way up. Tanuti controlled the rackets in the city core, and many other gangsters who considered themselves independent paid him tribute for the right to operate. Illegal scam or legitimate business, everyone paid Tanuti eventually. But since he never took everything, he was able to flatter himself that he was generous. And since he rarely had to enforce his rule with violence, he spoke as if he were a man of peace. But in his heart he knew the truth. To rule through fear was as great an act of violence as any committed by those up-and-comers who paid him tribute. Every piece of the profit of honest labor that he took from those who needed it was equal parts theft and murder. He knew that a reckoning would come, and he was ready. The high hat had long been secured by force. Now every window and door that could not be watched around the clock was bricked over, and those that remained were each covered by half a dozen hidden machine-gun nests, ready to pour hot leaden death into any who dared to step across his threshold. Tanuti only traveled in an armor-plated limousine, and then only when necessary. Such a moment was now upon him. 
Five hours ago, Morton Nye had disappeared without a trace. Nye had been the bookkeeper for the Tenuti operation for more than ten years. He was the only man besides Big Joe himself who could decode the books on the operation. The only man alive with the knowledge to slam a prison door behind Joe Tenuti for life. If the law had taken Nye, they couldn't hold him long. They'd threaten him, maybe knock him around. They'd done it before and come up zeros. Nothing permitted by law could force Morton Nye to turn pigeon. But that wasn't why Big Joe was worried enough to venture out of the high-hat gentleman's club. The cops might not be able to make Nye sing, but the man in the mask didn't play fair. He played by his own rules and took no quarter. The word on the street was he could reach inside a man's mind and take what he wanted by force. Some said he wasn't human. Big Joe had seen too much to accept that, but he knew that if the Red Panda truly did have some sort of hypnotic power, then Morton Nye's loyalty meant nothing. Tanuti's secrets would not be safe. He was the only man in the world other than Nye who knew where the books were kept, and he'd be a fool to put his entire operation into anyone else's hands. Even the most trusted of his lieutenants could be expected to turn to blackmail when they realized they held Big Joe's freedom, his operation, his very life in their hands. It was now a race against time, and Tanuti was already late. Where in the blazes is my driver? He snapped to no one in particular. A half a dozen gorillas snapped to attention and exchanged a series of hasty looks. When it was clear that none of them had an acceptable answer for the big man, a thin, rat-faced tough piped up quickly. If you don't show, Big Joe, I can take you where you... Tanuti cut the offer short with a growl. I'm not in the mood to improvise. What do I pay you mugs for, anyway? Suddenly, to the immense relief of Tanuti's boys, a cry went up from near the main doors of the club. Here he is! Hey, boss, he's here! About time, too, Big Joe spat the words out past the cigar wedged in his teeth and jammed his hat on his great sweaty head. Where have you been? The Tanuti mob was ringed by a circle of vaguely associated gangsters that frequented the club. They watched intently. They knew Big Joe was angry about something and were hoping for a free show. A dark-haired man pushed his way through the crowd to face his boss. It was Clyde Darby his face ash gray and no hat upon his head, but otherwise none the worse for wear after his recent rooftop tour. His brow was beaded with sweat, and he seemed distracted somehow. He came face to face with Tanuti. Well, Tanuti screamed, chewing his cigar with rage. Sorry. Sorry, Big Joe, Darby stuttered. I got a little hung up. The words seemed to come slowly, hesitantly. To the Hi-Hat's patrons, it simply looked like Darby feared Tanuti's wrath, as well he might. No one watching could have known the war Clyde Darby's own consciousness was losing, the futile struggle he was engaged in, like a drowning man in his final throes. Big Joe's brow furrowed deeply as he met the gaze of his trusted driver. "'Look at me,' the ganglord said sharply. You ain't been drinking, have you? We got work to do. Suddenly Darby's face cleared and he relaxed. Color began to return to his cheeks. He looked quite like his old self. But in reality, his old self had finally lost the battle. <laughs> no, oh, Big Joe, I'm fine, I swear. Where are we headed, he said with a smile. Tenuti held his lieutenant's gaze for a moment longer. I'll tell you in the car. Let's move. He looked back at Darby. Where's your hat at, anyway? 
Darby's hand reached up and touched his head by reflex. For a split second, a vision flashed before his eyes of his old hat falling from his head and drifting away as he stared down into an endless black abyss. The moment passed with a shiver. I don't know, was all he replied. A moment later, Darby and Tanuti entered the Hi Hat's underground garage under the gaze of a dozen armed guards. As was Tanuti's custom, his driver entered the car first, while Big Joe remained a discreet distance away. Darby pressed the start, and the car roared to life. In this armed camp, there was little chance of the vehicle being booby trapped, but Tanuti was a man who preferred safe to sorry. The armor plated limousine purred like a kitten. Tanuti stepped into the back, closed the door, and the car rolled away into the night. Tanuti leaned forward and growled the address into the limousine's speaking tube. Through the bulletproof glass that separated him from even his driver, Tanuti could see Clyde Darby nod his understanding. Big Joe settled back into the deep leather seat and lit a fresh cigar. Soon the books would be back in his hands and the Red Panda could do what he liked to Morton Nye for all the good it would do him. Soon as he had those books... Tanuti's eyes settled on the seat next to him, and he bit through his cigar in surprise. Sitting next to him, in the back of the limousine, were the very books and ledgers he was on his way to recover. A complete record of rackets, money laundering, hidden accounts, legitimate business, a career retrospective of brutal crime and intimidation, packaged up neatly for the prosecutors. Big Joe stammered in shock. He yelled for Darby, not thinking to use the speaking tube. There was, atop the pile, a thin green ledger Tanuti did not recognize. He tore it open and saw the fine, spindly hand of his trusted bookkeeper, detailing in full the keys needed to interpret the code in which the books were written, together with a full confession for the role that Nye had played in the crimes. Big Joe gaped wild-eyed at the ledger in his hand. He turned quickly to the last page of the book. There, staring back at him, written in a bold hand, were the words, "'Courtesy of the Red Panda.'" And underneath, a second hand had added the postscript, and the flying squirrel, XOXO. Joe Tanuti snarled with rage. Why would those masked freaks have done this? Why gather up this evidence and then leave it to be discovered in his own car? Were they simply trying to prove they could get to him? Did they expect to be paid off for their trouble? And how did they even get into his car? In the armed camp that was the hi-hat club, the only person who could open the doors of the limousine with impunity was... his driver... Clyde Darby. Tanuti looked up with a start and realized that his car was far off its planned route. Darby was headed somewhere else, driving calmly, unconcerned. Darby! Tanuti screamed, pounding on the soundproof glass. Darby! Big Joe quickly realized his folly and pulled the speaking tube from its hanger. But before he could even open his mouth to fill the tube with expletives, he heard a strange hissing sound coming back at him. Gas! The sealed rear chamber of the limousine was filling with a translucent white gas that had started to flow through the tube from the front of the car. Tanuti's head swam. His arms flailed for the handle to open the door, the window, anything to clear the air and give him time to escape. But neither would budge. Tanuti felt himself slumping forward, forward, down. An hour later, two uniformed police officers were walking towards their prowl car, preparing to leave for an evening patrol, when they made a most unexpected discovery. There, in the division garage, they found Big Joe Tanuti, unconscious in the back of his limousine. 
beside the most damning pile of evidence anyone could recall. And in the front seat, his driver still sat quietly, a peaceful smile upon his face and no hat upon his head.